0: You are listening to the sermon audio of New Hope Community Church in Canaan, New Hampshire. For more information, visit our website at newhopecommunity.net. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans chose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead for this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but living according to God uh, living according to God in regard to the Spirit. These are the words of the Lord. Open Door Ministry is one of a handful of Christian ministries dedicated to persecuted Christians. Uh, and every year they issue their world watch list. Uh, This list highlights hot spots in the world that are known for um, their harsh treatment of believers, uh, as well as additional information that is helpful for the church in general to be aware of. So this year's Open Door World Watch list for 2018 gives the following statistics. There are over 215 million Christians being persecuted in our world today. Uh, We can assume that number is even higher because in some places it's hard to assess just how many are there. But over 215 million. North Korea for the 16th year in a row is the number one country uh, that persecutes believers. Um, The biggest increase was somewhat surprising in persecution, and that is in Central Asia. Uh, where persecution of Christians has taken on new emphasis, uh, where some countries and places in the past that didn't even make the list are are now on there, uh, often contributed by extreme Islam in those areas. And also, during the time that it took them to compile the survey, they found out that over 3,000 Christians had been killed, over 1,200 had been abducted, over 1,000 had been sexually abused or assaulted, and almost 800 churches had been physically attacked or burned. And in light of that, I tell you that, to think for a moment, imagine if that was your life, if, if that's kind of what your world was like, and now you're gathered on a Sunday with perhaps in secrecy with only a few other believers. What is it you would need to hear? What would you be expecting your, your pastor to tell you when, when that is your world and that is your life, well, I think you'd expect and hope to hear exactly what Peter says in 1 Peter 3 and 4, because he is speaking to the same audience, believers who are looking at their lives and seeing they have been persecuted, and it looks like that persecution, although it may subside at times, will only grow more severe. Uh, so let me direct you to 1 Peter chapter four. And, and as you look at this particular passage, uh, Peter is in the middle of a discussion in this letter about suffering. Uh, and he's talked about suffering in terms of persecution. Uh, you'll see next week he'll bring that maybe a little closer home when we deal as a Christian with just trials and difficulties in our life. But but his message in the beginning of chapter four is related to the harshest persecution. Uh, that can take many different forms. How is a Christian? Are we to, to live victoriously in a world that, that does marginalize us and in many ways we can expect it to mistreat us and to persecute So you notice as we started our reading, although I said this is 1 Peter chapter 4, you notice verse 1 begins with the word therefore, which immediately tells you there's a, a conclusion that's being introduced here that conclusion goes all the way back and connects to verse 18 of chapter 3. In other words, Peter first wants to put before his audience who is facing persecution the reality of Jesus Christ's death and suffering. In other words, for them to look at their present situation through the lens of remembering what Jesus Christ endured on your behalf. And so you notice in verse 18, we we need to be reminded at times of the purpose of Christ's suffering and death. And in verse 18, Peter says, for Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. And, And that phrase is very interesting. To bring you to God speaks of at times, like an offering that's being made, and Christ ultimately was an offering to satisfy the wrath of God, but it also includes this sense of, of reconciling, bringing together. So it is in through Christ's death we see the purpose of his death, to, to bring us into a right relationship with God. And, and for those hearing these words, immediately this thought of Christ's death was the righteous for the unrighteous, would resonate with what they're experiencing. What they're experiencing is unjust. They're being persecuted, not because they're lawbreakers, but because they're faithful to Jesus Christ. And we could go through that list of the, the countries that make up the, the top 50 hotspots in the world and, and realize that the Christians are just living out their faith in those countries. Uh, and yet they are being persecuted and they are experiencing harsh treatment. But then you go to verse 22, and we see in the purpose of Christ's suffering, we are reminded of his present exaltation and ministry. In verse 22, Peter writes, Who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. And so we focus not just on the reality of Christ's death, but, but what was the result of that death? is coming to reconcile us. He now reigns at the Father's right hand and and carries out that ministry of of intercession on our behalf. Uh, It's an interesting sort of connection here when you think about the first official martyr in the church is often said to be Stephen. And so you read about him in Acts 7 and Acts 8. But in Acts 7, as Stephen is being stoned to death, it, it says that he looked, And he said he saw the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And and the fact that he sees Christ standing may, may be related to one of two things. It may be that typically as our high priest, a priest stood to carry out his functions. So maybe in a sense that standing is reminding us of Christ is our present high priest, our defender. But it's also true in the sense of standing, you think of, to to receive and to welcome. And here is Stephen, that first official martyr, at least recorded for us in the book of Acts, uh, despised by men, rejected and hated enough to the point where they were going to end his life being welcomed by his Lord and Savior. What a reminder of the difference between how our world often views the truth coming through Christians, verse how Jesus Christ will receive his servants well done, good and faithful servant. But notice in verse 1 of 1 Peter, in this conclusion that's made tied to the example of Christ's suffering, Peter says that Christ suffered in his body. And, And maybe this brings it home more to us of the extent in which Christ suffered and paid the debt for our sins. And it is, in in many ways, called a vicarious atonement. He he died in our place. He died as the representative for you and me to pay the penalty for our sins. And we can run with that phrase and expand it as Peter does here. He he suffered in his body, but then think for a moment. To suffer means you, you experience often sorrow, difficulties, and they're coming from outside of you. And if we start to think about Christ's ministry on earth, his, his suffering began at the very moment of his incarnation, taking the form of a servant, the one who created all things and called them into being, is, is now dependent on his creation for his nurture and development. And then we go through his life and look at how he was despised and rejected, He comes as the promised Messiah to his own people. And as the Gospel of John immediately starts out and says, he came unto his own and his own rejected. He came home and they said, we don't want you. And so you start to think of his entire life being one of suffering, humiliation, climaxing clearly at the cross. And who knows, as Peter would pen these words, he suffered in his body. If if his thoughts would go back to a scene I'm sure that he would never, ever forget of when he denied Christ, then maybe even trying to be off in a distance seeing the suffering of his Lord and Savior, seeing those wounds in his hands and in his feet. He, he knew, he saw evidence that Christ suffered in his body. Look with me for a moment at Hebrews chapter 12 because the reality of Christ's suffering puts into perspective Whatever challenges, whatever costs, we might face at times with being a follower of Christ. Uh, The book of Hebrews, we know, uh, was written, in a sense, to a a somewhat similar audience. Uh, In other words, there's believers who are facing the challenges of following Christ. Uh, Many have walked away from their faith, evidencing it was never genuine. There are others that are struggling in their faith. But if you notice in Hebrews chapter 12, we have the example of Moses and, or excuse me, in chapter 12, we have the mention here of Christ and what he endured and how that should impact us. Hebrews 12, verses 2 through 4, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame And sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And so here you have the writer of Hebrews saying, Keep the reality of Christ's suffering before you, and here's the impact it should have in your own walk with Christ. You should now be able to endure knowing that no matter what the cost is on your end of this, it can never come close to what Christ endured on your behalf, what, what he faced because of his love for us. And so we start to see that even as Christians and as Peter's audience, we, we need to be reminded of this. It's something we should not grow complacent about, where we simply speak very quickly, well, yeah, Christ died for me. But, but to, to think on that, to go over, what does that mean? And so you see that connection here between Christ's death and, and our own ability to endure and look to Him for the grace and strength that's needed. But Peter goes on, as we'll see in First Peter chapter four, to also tell us that as believers, we should be willing to suffer for the cause of Christ. Uh, now we realize that there are places in our world where believers are being persecuted even as I speak. And yet we sit in relative comfort. Uh, We certainly face some criticism, opposition in our world as a Christian, uh, but nowhere near the extent that we see in other places. But that should not cause us to think that somehow, well, we shouldn't be ready and willing to endure that cost if God should show bring that into our lives. And so you notice again in verse one of chapter four, the second part of the verse goes on and says, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. And notice the, the admonition, the command, arm yourselves with the same attitude. Uh, the word arm there means pr- prepare, uh, train yourself. And I think one of the ways we train ourselves to be ready for Opposition is reading the Word faithfully, uh, studying it, thinking about it, meditating on it. That, that's our preparation. That's our training. Just as we say, we'll be ready to give an answer for anyone who asks you for the hope that is in you. Now, we can't anticipate what conversations we'll have this coming week. But by being in the Word, by fellowshipping together, uh, by studying the Scriptures together, we, we're training, we're, we're preparing ourselves that God might take what we have just heard and use it somewhere in a conversation. Maybe not next week, maybe weeks from now, maybe even years from now, but we are preparing ourselves. We are arming ourselves. But then notice he says, arm yourselves with the same attitude. In other words, the same disposition, the same way of thinking. So how did Christ approach going to the cross? What was his mindset? What was his perspective as he did that? It wasn't naive. He, he did not think or imply in any way the cross was not going to be as bad as they say it is. That somehow crucifixion was not as painful as it looks. He approached it very realistically, but from the perspective of what? Obedience to God. You notice in 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 11, Peter has already reminded his audience that suffering is part of the call. And you see in 1 Peter chapter 2 and I think it's verse 21, he says, "To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps." And you could take the word you out of there and put your own name in there. I mean that's how applicable that passage is. He's saying, "If you're a believer, this is what you have been called to." You you need to be willing to endure, to suffer out of obedience to Jesus Christ. Now, now why did Christ have that mindset? Why does Peter have that mindset? And why does Peter feel that every Christian must have that mindset? Well, he realizes that there are two purposes that are woven through suffering and trials. And so you see the first one in the end of verse 1 of chapter 4, When he interestingly says that he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. This has led New Testament scholars throughout the centuries to to wrestle over what does Peter mean that, that if you suffer, that you are done with sin. And there are a number of different kind of interpretations on this. I'll give you two. One takes the slant that, well, this is what was true of Christ. Christ suffered and he defeated sin and death, and therefore he was done with sin. Now, that makes perfect sense with one exception, that if you look at 1 Peter 4.1, he's not talking about Christ. He's talking about the believer, that the believer who suffers is done with. So I think we're forced then to look and say, well, is Peter saying here that in a sense in your willingness to suffer... You are bearing evidence of your love for God and your hatred for In other words, you are making a conscious choice. Rather than experiencing maybe the pleasures, the safety of not enduring persecution, you are choosing to out of obedience to Christ. In other words, you are displaying in a very graphic way your love for Christ. And in opposite to that, your, your hatred for sin. Notice in verse 2, he follows that up and says, As a result, he, referring to the believer, does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. And I think we can acknowledge in many ways we should be envious of those Christians who are suffering because they have a firmer grasp on the reality of their faith in Christ, of, of what it means to say, Christ is everything in my life because it is true persecution and suffering refines and purifies the faith of God's children and so in those places that are often hardest hit in terms of persecution we should not be surprised that we see the churches growing it's not shrinking it's getting stronger why because it drives that faith and it quickly weeds out those who are really not followers of Christ Those who are seeking something else in church, not a vibrant personal discipleship and obedience to Christ, but they're seeking camaraderie. They're seeking other benefits. And so as we look at this, Peter reminds us to his audience, he's saying, you who are experiencing this, you are showing your desire is to pursue God's will. And and you have a perfect example of this, if you'd like to go there with me. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 where this fits exactly the description of Moses. And we know Moses is hailed in chapter 11 of Hebrews along with many others as a hero of the faith. But maybe sometimes we, we fail to see that in his willingness to suffer, what he was demonstrating was that in many ways he was done with sin. Not, not that he wouldn't struggle against it, but his love was for God, not, not, not for man, or what he could acquire from others. In Hebrews 11, listen to verses 24 through 26. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. What a a picture of exactly what Peter's talking about. And notice how, even as you read that in Hebrews, clearly Moses did not see the physical manifestation of Christ, but yet the connection is there. He desired to be pleasing to God, his Lord and Savior, rather than to the immediate things he could have experienced as being groomed for Pharaoh's replacement. And you have that beautiful contrast. He chose disgrace over riches. He chose the insecurity over the security of being a member of the royal household. And so we see that persecution and suffering refines and strengthens the faith of those who go through that with being armed, the thinking of Jesus Christ. But there's another element in persecution and suffering, and that is it provides the perfect opportunity to declare God's praises and his grace. So returning to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, put this right out there in front, that as the world looks at those who are being persecuted and suffering, they're not quite sure what they should do with them. So notice in verse three, he says, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans chose to do. And then you have a list of very public sins that would be typically associated with Gentiles. In other words, what Peter's saying here is as the world looks at you, realize there's a, a BC to your life as a Christian before Christ. This is what you were like before Christ. You, you were like them. You blend it in. But now what does suffering and persecution for our faith do? It clearly shows that we don't fit in now. Because you notice in verse 4, it goes on and says, they they look at this change in you and they think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dis- dissipation and they heap abuse on you. Now, when you... When you when you look at this word, he's saying, the world's looking at this, saying, what, what's happened to you? Now, to give you maybe a, a clearer picture of this in the Roman Empire, uh, Christians no longer engaged in many of the culturally accepted things in the Roman Empire. They would not participate in many of the feasts that precipitated buying food in the marketplace. Uh, they, they would not call Caesar Lord. They would show him honor and respect, but refuse to call him Lord. There were other things that they did that suddenly to many people who do not know Christ, they looked at this and said, what is with these people? In other words, they were taking a stand that led to friction. They were taking a stand that led others to say, they're troublemakers. Even when they did this in a very godly demeanor and way. In other words, what do you usually do from a secular standpoint if someone does not fit in? If it looks like they're going against the system, you punish them. And in many cases, you, you kill them. And all we need to do is look where the Roman Empire would go in terms of, uh, you know, strapping animals on the backs of believers and, and letting them be chased by lions. To the entertainment and excitement of the crowd. In other words, we don't get it. They, they don't fit in. They don't belong. And yet that response should not surprise us that they think it's strange. That they look at this and say, well, it makes no sense. But then the disturbing reality is, in response, they heap insults upon them. And that word insults means literally blasphemy. They, they attack their reputation. They attack their very character and assault them. I think for anyone who's been following the, the, the Brett Kavanaugh confirmation process, uh, both sides have been concerned about how it's hurting the reputation of the different people involved. Well, how much greater should it be when we look at what's happening to the reputation of of many faithful Christians in our world in these persecuted places? They they are being unjustly charged, prosecuted for crimes they have not committed, uh, sent to work camps and places merely because of their love for Christ, sharing Christ with someone else, having literature in their homes, or just their association with a particular church or individual. The Apostle Paul reminds us, he says, when when we preach the gospel, it will have one of two responses. To some people, it will be a beautiful smelling fragrance. It'll be the greatest thing they've ever heard. And then he says to others, it will be the smell of death. They will react and push against that and do everything possible to silence that message. But what a a reminder to give to these first century believers as well as believers today. Keep Christ's suffering before you. Don't don't lose sight of that. But then also in addition to that, are you willing to suffer? Because you should be if Christ is our Lord and Savior. And then finally, Peter has some closing counsel for them. And that is, in this situation, rest in the judgment of God. Notice he doesn't promise that anything outwardly is going to change right away. In fact, as you read this letter and the follow-up letter in 2 Peter, you can say Peter's advice to them is it's going to get worse. And we could multiply that and say, yeah, Peter, that's an understatement. Yeah, it definitely will get worse. But notice in verses 5 and 6, he calls them to rest in God's judgment because it's very clear the world has appraised them in one way. But you notice in verse 5, it says, but they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. A reminder here that God's judgment is universal. Uh, No one will escape it. It will cover believer and unbeliever uh, with different emphasis for each. Uh, But that judgment is universal. But not only can we rest in that fact that God's judgment is universal and perfect, but also in the reality that those who have served faithfully will be rewarded. That, that our value and worth is not to be determined by human judgments of us or what officials have ruled about us, but our worth, our rewards, are from God whose judgment is impartial and imperfect. So much so that you will see in chapter 4, verse 19, Peter comes back to this and says, So then those who suffer according to God's will, should commit themselves to the faithful creator and continue to do good. And then you get towards the end of his letter in verse 10 of chapter 5. He says, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. What a way to help us know how to better pray for those believers that are clearly in the target of Satan in these other places in our world. Pray that they would, again, assess themselves, not based on human authorities, but on on God's view of them in Christ. And that we would rise to the challenge of realizing that Peter wrote this not about just some believers, Every believer is called to follow the example of Christ. Let's pray. Most gracious God, thank you that we are saved by grace, but let us not forget that we are also to be sustained by grace. And so give us a heart that prays for the persecuted church, that also grows in our own willingness to bear the cost of what it means to follow Christ joyfully, because we know our value is determined by who we are in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name.